Welcome to Nota Bene, brought to you by Seesaw, the only app you need to get you to see the art you want to see. And Ben, it's a free app. You can download it in the App Store. It's amazing. I've been using it for years. I go on Seesaw, flag the galleries that I want to see, and it shows up in a custom-made map. What else does it do, Ben? Uh, I mean, that's basically it. You go online. Say, say you're traveling somewhere. Say you're just in New York. It shows you all the relevant galleries, what the shows are, when they're open until, meaning like when like the show's done. You click on the ones you actually care about and want to see, leave all the crap aside, and then it'll build you custom maps. You can walk around. You don't miss any shows. And then like gallery owners don't get mad at you because you didn't see the last four shows because now you're able to see it, all because of Seesaw, available for free in the App Store. Gallery owners are still going to get mad at me, but that's okay. They just get mags I don't buy. Nate, thanks for showing up. Rolling in uh, an unfashionably late. We're, we're direct from the fucking train station. Shout out to Amtrak, the least reliable transit system on planet Earth. I was visiting the ancestral homeland. Shout out to that's in Maryland. Again? Uh, yes, two, two weeks in a row. row. I'm the best first son in the history of first son. Going after that Freeman family fortune, I take it. <laughs> Something like that. So, But what time did the train leave Washington, D.C.? It was supposed to leave at 11, 10 p.m. and ended up leaving after the next train, so that would be after twelve or five p.m. I think it got on the road at like. Were there no 15. earlier trains? Eleven, Dad is early for me. You know that's an early train. Oh, Jesus, the life of a writer. Welcome <laughs> to adulthood, Nate. It's time to step up. You can take I, a nine o'clock train. Get, get, get I did in a lot town. of stuff at the ancestral homestead before that. I had a, a long talk with my father over breakfast, which was great. I petted the dogs for a while. Did he give you any money? No, he didn't give me any money. But it's okay. Not this time. If he did, I would have just spent it all about this other night anyway. So Are you go- you're going out to eat again, <laughs> again. How many times? Uh, so you 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 were gone from New York for one night. Outside of that night, in the past five nights, how many times have you been out to eat? Uh, I I I've been out to eat. I think all but Wednesday, where I had a lovely dinner in. But apart from Wednesday, I went to Chamatant, which is extra extravagant because it's in Brooklyn, so I had to travel there. Uh, and then, 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 just did the greatest history: Altro, Clark's, Lucien, uh, Lure. You know, just like all on the same night or different I mean, different nights. Different nights. <laughs> and did you pay for any of these meals, or did other people like me pay for them? <laughs> I I paid for all of them. In fact, and one of them was a date, and I just paid for all of it because I'm a good. So it's good only me that when we're out to eat, you stick with the bill. Is that what you're trying <laughs> to tell me, dude? <laughs> you know, this is because Annie's gonna listen to this. And she's not gonna be amused. <laughs> Annie, uh, no, I, I I need to watch the baking <laughs> tonight. Balthazar, and then a break. I was invited to Balthazar, but I'm a family man. I'll be going home to have some... Yes, listeners, he turned down the the Balcatraz. Anyway, but New York has been pretty on fire, uh, downtown especially. Mm -hmm. Um, It feels alive again. It's sunny out. Uh, The girls and boys are like looking dressed to the nines. Everyone looks cute. I know. This dinner on Saturday at Dr. Clark that I mentioned... Why don't you tell us about your your fancy dinner with the people from the publishing world? Well, a a friend of mine... uh, He really wanted to brag about this. It's not bragging, just saying, as my mentor George Gurley used to say. Chris Black, who runs a podcast like Gars But Better, How Long Gone, uh, was in town. Never heard of it. <laughs> uh, and, and invited a few of us via uh, a calendar invite, which I found uh, amusing and different, uh, to dinner at Dr. Clark. Usually when you're you know, when you meet at Dr. Clark, it's usually just like through yelling or maybe texting if you're being formal. But this is through a Google calendar invite. Some of us are adults, Nate. Again, I'm getting used to this. So me and my friend Chris Black... Joe Coscarelli from the New York Times, Nomi Fry from the New Yorker, Sam Hine of GQ fame. Talk about the New York media young 
white power world. Yeah, it was uh, pretty, it pretty was... Caucasian, dude. <laughs> well, I you know this is this is not my uh, assembling uh, of people, you know, but but it was an excellent uh, uh, meeting of the minds, as Chris called it, and every topic was discussed at length. No stone was turned was was left unturned. Late night or early night? Relatively early, you know, the restaurants close at, at eleven or ish. Really, Doctor Doctor Clark's won't stay open and let you hang out there drinking till two in the morning. That's you know, not I, what I, I hear. I have no knowledge of that. Then I have no knowledge of that. Neither do I. That restaurant Neither or I. any restaurant. Yeah, I guess we should get into why the people listen, not just your dining habits. That's why really? I listen. Well, I mean, for me, it's interesting just because I live vicariously through your overactive social life. But I guess we have to talk about the art world. What's happening in the art world today? Well, we're going to have to talk about something we've been in various media avoiding talking about for going on six weeks now. NFTs. Fuck. This is the first time that I actually wanted to talk about NFTs. Honestly. Like, like I've never wanted to talk about Same. this Well, it's the first ever. time it's not just some sort of incel adjacent uh, JPEG being sold to crypto billionaires. Right. It's and what we're talking about is, uh, just to set the stage, is Urs Fisher will be selling via auction on Louis Guzer's Fair Warning app, the first of what will be in 51 original NFTs that Urs is making. Urs, a uh, very well-known Swiss artist who lives mostly in Los Angeles, known for sculpture, quasi-painting, and sort of a radical, the realist uh, bent art making. He's going to be selling this on Fair Warning, which is an invitation-only auction platform that's only an iPhone app and is kind of interesting. It's the first NFT I've cared about. It's It'll be the first of a series of 51, and the first one is, I mean, talking about this is so absurd, is mm-hmm. uh, a lighter, a lit lighter, like a uh-huh. Bic lighter, click your Bic, going through an egg in what... I kind of see it as a somewhat sexual manner. Um, I, I'm looking, I I'm looking at it. I'm sexual. looking at it now. I'm also watching it now. It's fairly. It's actually explicitly sexual. Which is a weird thing. We didn't buy it. We're not bidding on it. But I'm watching it. I'm seeing it. I'm, I'm having it. the same experience as the person who buys it is going to have. Right. Um, and which we is don't own it. Generally, my one of my knocks against non fungible right. tokens. I'm just a little bit salty because I feel like I could have gotten on this gravy train, and I. See, I'm actually very proud I didn't get in this gravy train because I would be deeply embarrassed at this point. Uh, I, as I told my, my editor today, this is the first NFT that doesn't make me want to scream into a pillow. It actually is in line with a lot of Urza's practice. You know, there's sculptures of uh, items colliding into each other that he's been making. Well, it's all, it's all based on actual items that exist that are made in the world or exist in the world, like in the case of an egg, that he collects and then 3D scans and makes digital. Um, so it has a real kind of lineage in actual objects in the physical world and then becoming digital, which to me is interesting. Um, and he's, but he's part of a crop of quote unquote kind of top tier blue chip, blue chip adjacent artists that are kind of moving into this formally kind of like uh, screen screensaver art, uh, art practice. Um, but the interesting thing is being sold first at an auction. But then, so it's the first, there's going to be 51 of them. This is the first of the 51. They're all different. The 51st will be a collection of all of these. Um, but Kelly Crow announced that not only is it going to be on fair warning, but afterwards it's it's going to be sold not in via Urza's gallery of record, the Gagosian gallery, you might have heard of it, but 
by Pace Gallery, who's who's always been like a little bit recently has been a little bit more seemingly open, and I would argue a boomerish kind of way towards mm-hmm. new technologies. Pace is also a partner in uh, Loic's Fair Warning platform. It's hosting Fair Warning at its Palo Alto space. Partner, but I'm not sure if they're a partner, but they're hosting the physical space. For right, but it's not a random choice of venue, is what I'm saying. Oh, okay, no, but I mean it's interesting that Urz is now getting so close with with Pace, and I mean the real the real interesting thing as as uh, as enumerated in Kelly Crow's article in the Wall Street Journal this morning is like there's some shade being fired um, both by Urs and I would say by Mark Glimpshire towards Larry and his reticence to engage in the NFTs. And, and, and you know, Larry is given an opportunity to comment and does not engage with, with this technology-based platform for art that I've been hating on for so long, which makes me kind of admire I mean, Larry's about where I am. As, he, as his quote says, uh, as his quote is saying on NFTs, I don't really know much about it. Seems like many artists are being approached to get involved with NFTs. It'll be interesting to see how it all plays out. I hope it's a success for Urus. He's just like he's like I don't know what this stuff is, but like Urs, be, be I mean, my not, guess. not a good look for a gallery that you know. I mean, and I do uh, a, a degree of business with Gagosian. Like I'm a big fan of their program and and what they've done, but like he is someone who I know is quite interested in what the press thinks of them. It doesn't seem like he got the best advice on how to answer questions about right. this. Well, I was all. saying that that even the 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 more kind of embarrassing look here is not. Larry being like, I don't know what NFTs are because I think that's actually admirable. But the fact that Gagosian confirms that there's an Urs Fisher show at G- the Gagosian Gallery in September, and then Urs says there might not be a show. I mean, at the uh, to, Gallery to be clear, in he doesn't say there might not he said, be. It's Let me... messy. Yeah, he does say that is an exact quote. It's messy, um, and what that could mean for the relationship going forward. And uh, and Glimsher kind of piles on here. Uh, he said it would be great if Urs came to the gallery. I mean, like it's. It's, I mean, he didn't that's qu- not a good look for Larry. I mean, he didn't quite say have- I mean, the quote was uh, it, that it took him, meaning Mark Limsher, when, when Urz approached him, about 15 seconds to agree to work with the artist and sell his M- NFTs. And then he mentions that there's a pre- uh, precedent for artists switching between the two galleries, uh, Julian Schnabel and the state of William de Kooning. But, quote, landing Mr. Fisher would be a huge coup. Mm-hmm. I don't think anyone would think otherwise. Landing Urs is a, is a huge coup. I know that we've talked that about how his market is not as solid as it once was, but he is a widely respected, important artist. But rarely do we see artists in public, or gallerists, excuse me, in public kind of tangoing uh, over the potential representation mm-hmm. of an artist. Right. I can't think of another example no, in, I can't in, in my time. Um, and I'm not sure if it's just the writer uh, massage the various quotes to make it seem as though this is a remote possibility. But the other thing that comes up in this article is, and so I, I, I have clients that collect Urs. I'm a huge fan of his. I think he's one of the most radical and important artists working today and, and how he manipulates images and how we relate to, to objects and images in space. I mean, he just fucking blows my mind, uh, you know, dating back to, you know, the first, like, really mind-blowing thing when he when, when he dug a hole in, in the, the floor of that Gavin Brown's space. That was the work space. called You, which was truly a, uh, a masterwork of the last so I'm uh, So I'm a fan of his, but I feel like he might be shooting himself a little bit in the foot here because as much as I've collected him for clients and I'm happy to do as such and, and support the work, we have some, like, really weird things that he's made, his market is not real deep and not real broad is like five to 10 billionaires that buy Urs Fisher work on the primary mm-hmm. market. They're the type of guys that probably talk to Larry on the daily, uh, yeah. certainly the weekly, if not the daily. And they're not talking to Mark Lemsher. 
I, I don't know, but I sense they're the kind of people that like Larry hangs out on boats with all the time. Mm. And I'm not sure if the appetite for his work on the primary level would still be there if Larry wasn't pushing him as hard as he does. And yeah, Glimpsher doesn't have a boat, does he? He's not a, uh, a sales-out nails his, guy? His, his, his parents, uh, Arnie Glimpsher, and I'm forgetting his mom's name, have had a series of small boats leading up to much bigger right. boats, all sailing yachts. yachts uh, right. You know, but, sailing but, yachts are, are very different from a, a Larry yacht. Yeah, but they're, I mean... It's a big, really, really, really special boat yeah. uh, that's, I would say, a little bit more tasteful. Right. Well, I mean, these are New England boats. They're not, you know, San Tropez boats. They're, um, not, they're not St. Bart's Oh, boats. no. I mean, they, they sell around the world. Forget how many feet. But we're, we're, it's, it's not a small... It's not, we're not talking about a dinghy in Buzzards Bay here. But we're talking about something that would look very much at home in, in San Tropez. Confirmed the Glimpture family is a sales-out, nails-out family. Oh, hundred percent, and like we're yeah. we're real sailors in their youth, Arnie. Anyway, I'm not I'm not sure right. about Mark's uh, association with the boating arts. Okay, that's just wanted um, to get that. But anyway, okay. I just I just thought it was really interesting to see this kind of power play happen in public, um, and like I'm I'm pretty down for the NFT. I have to say, um, my favorite part of the fair warning presentation of this, they did some good writing and they really clearly explained what it was you were buying and the parameters of it. But the best is under the condition report where it just says this work will outlive you. That I did not notice, and that is beautiful. <laughs> I, I, I found that verging on poetic. So that was kind of the biggest thing happening, uh, at least in the past couple of days in the art world. It just, it just, you know, it isn't. It is a somewhat destabilized time. I mean, I'm both as much as I make fun of the NFT thing. I want to make sure that my inherent conservatism and comfort in the way that things have operated and existed up until this point doesn't blind me to the possibilities that there might be new models going mm. forward. I mean, I think what it's done for like the sports world is like much more interesting in a way, like the ability to change as opposed to sports cards, like these uh, these um, kind of clips, basically YouTube clips of, of stars performing. And uh, that's kind of interesting. But I, I want to be, be a little bit more open, but I'm still going to fucking make fun of you if you collect sneakers and NFTs. Absolutely. True story. I mean, just because Urs Fisher, who is kind of a genius and a brilliant artist, made an NFT that doesn't make me want to jump out you know, of the building doesn't mean they're cool. You know what we're not going to talk about? Damien Hurst fucking NFT because you Fuck know that him. shit's going to be lame. It's going to be so stupid. <laughs> I think it's just that Urs can kind of transcend any medium and it makes sense. Um, and uh, I don't think the same is true. And I, I will say that uh, they're also giving a percentage or a large percentage to, or some percentage uh, Oceana. to Oceana, which is a, 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 char- a charity. Our boy Leo's thing. Oceans. It is our, well, your boy Leo's thing. <laughs> yeah. I've always been more of a Toby guy myself. <laughs> it's just me. <laughs> um, anyway, uh, live from Union Square. Uh, coming up next, we have, uh, I think, a pretty awesome interview with Stefania Bordalami. Uh, you know what Stefania does that we didn't actually plan was break some pretty big news. So she does break some, actually I would say, some kind of this. major use, news um, featuring someone who's right now not only a fantastic painter but an art market star. Ooh, you're giving out too much info. Well, I you know I gave a gender, listen. that's it. <laughs> <laughs> you're gonna have to stay tuned. Uh check it out. Uh Stefania Bordolami of Bordolami Gallery and uh, a mentor of mine and, and many people mm-hmm. in the art world, uh who's kept it real over a number of years and that a number of different has. spheres. Coming up right after this. Hello, Stefania. How are you? God, you guys are on the dot. We're here in this the, the podcast HQ. My office overlooking beautiful Union Square. <laughs> we've been, uh, the gallery, we've been, you know, public facing since July. Mm-hmm. But frankly, nobody got sick. So I don't know. All right. So we wanted to get into it. We wanted to speak with you because 
obviously I've known you for many years and you've been in the game for so many years in different ways, but running your own gallery for well over a decade now, borderline. Oh yeah. And, um, 15 years. 15 years. years. Um, that makes us all seem old. Um, but like, you've also like had a, had a long kind of career before that. So I wanted to start back at the beginning. You grew up in Italy, and if I remember correctly, correct me if I'm wrong, you studied art history in Torino, in Turin? Exactly. And then I uh, moved to Geneva. Uh, I wanted to be near my mother. Um, and, uh, you know, I was still giving exams in Torino. And so I finished that. And after that, I moved to London, and I did the Sotheby's Master whatever, graduate, uh, postgraduate thing, which is was the first year that it, that it existed. But did you grow up in a family that was, was your family one of collectors or, or what was your kind no, of entry point? What I, made your interest I, in art other than growing up in the country with the greatest Western art history imaginable? Very, very humble beginning. Uh, my stepmother is a, uh, actually she was an art teacher, but more like, you know, in, um, middle school Mm -hmm. my father worked for my grandfather you know uh the company was then sold to a big collector in torino but they did not they were not doing so well so no i didn't grow up with money at all and do i remember correctly though were you also a, a a swimmer at a very high level this i don't know about i used to swim for ego when i was when i was uh when i was young you know until 17, something like that. And then... I don't know I, why that fact sits in my could head. probably still smoke most of the art world in the pool. Well, you know, I was talking about it um, with someone the other day. Larry, at one point, really loved to um, hire athletes mm-hmm. because he figured that athletes are competitive, which mm-hmm. he lo- he loves, <laughs> Yeah, and, and hard worker and disciplined, you know. You can, which is true. I mean, this is something that is ingrained in you. Oh, yeah. I I heard a story about Larry playing pool at that incredible dive bar, Billy Marks, that wasn't too far from the gallery. And he would basically <laughs> do tryouts for art handlers for the gallery to see who would, you know, destroy on the pool table. Like, that's how he tried out art handlers, was who was the best pool player at Billy Marks, because he just wanted someone. This must have been a handlers. long time ago. <laughs> I think it was. I think it was. I think it was the early days of the gallery. I hadn't heard that like that. So you, you go to London <laughs> to study um, to study uh, at the Sotheby's Institute, the first class. Um, what was London like? What, what year was this that you arrived in London? 86, something like that. Yeah, 86, 87. What was the scene in London like, both artistically and otherwise? <laughs> Oh my God, you really want to go back there. We want to go um, back. Oh dear. I, okay, so what was it like? Um, I hung out with a lot of young artists, um, which at the time were a little bit the YBAs. I was not friends with Damien and, um, and um, Sarah and mm-hmm. Tracy, but I knew them. Mm-hmm. I was more friends with Matt Collishow. Uh-huh. Um, Anya Gallaccio, um, Graham Gassin. Oh, yeah. You know, it, it was like the artists of the same group. They were part of Freeze and all that, but they uh, they didn't become superstars. Um, and you, in addition to Sotheby's, did you also get a master's in art history around the same time? Do I remember that correctly? 
I did a master's in a crappy university called Middlesex University. Um, and it was because afterwards they hired me at Sotheby's and I was in a department. Eventually, I was in a department that did documentary lectures and their collection. And I really liked it. So I decided to go and do a master in that, you know, docu arts, basically arts documentary. And that was a Middlesex University. Um, and I was doing it at the same time as I was working at Sotheby's. And we did a documentary about uh, Baron Thyssen. So basically, mm -hmm. Sotheby's had this brilliant idea, which was pretty good. If you stick a team of people with a collector for long enough that they, you know, we need to interview him and the family and go and visit all these houses and all that, when they have to sell something, the first name that pops up is Sotheby's. Yeah, of course. Rather and, than uh, Christie's. Yeah. Mm -hmm. and, and everyone wants to be the center of attention, I think, especially a collector you know, wants to feel as though that they're, they're, they're more than just a profit center. They're, they're somehow engaging in the discourse. And I can imagine that being very, especially in those early days where video wasn't quite so ubiquitous as it is now. Yeah, absolutely. I, um, I don't think that the, um, I eventually left, but, and the uh, department did not survive. I, maybe they figured out it cost too much and they, they can just, uh, you know, find another way to, <laughs> to get sort of these, uh, to be the first name that they think about. Oh, um, I've always thought catalogs for, are, are more for people yeah. consigning <laughs> than they are for people that are going to buy the art because everyone wants to see, or not everyone, many people want to see their name and a big essay and, and uh, big pictures of their collection before it gets sold. And it's more to the ego of the seller Absolutely. than necessarily the education of the buyer. Yeah. Did you ever work in an auction house, Ben? Yeah, Maybe. yeah. I was, yeah. I was at oh, Phillips yeah, of course you for were almost Phillips. five yeah. years. So kind I of an auction that. house. I was going to say, an if you count house. Phillips, yes. <laughs> I remember. That's right. That's right. In my many, my multifaceted career, I, I love. I mean, I just love the adrenaline because I'm a junkie for kind of that kind of on the edge. But the uh, the ethics, not the ethics, but the it wasn't as much fun. Don't get to build quite the same kind of deep connections with either artists or collectors in that kind of space. Mm -hmm. For a long time, I was dilly dallying in the art world, not really knowing what uh, you know what would be my role. I knew that I wanted to be in it. Um, but um, it is really when I, I moved to Barcelona, um, because of someone that I knew from Sotheby's actually at a sort of gallery there and at an empty space and said, why don't you come and do young artists there? And then, you know, you don't have to pay me anything. You just bring visitors in and I even give you a salary. I'm like, Oh, that sounds like a a good job. whatever I sell is mine. That know? sounds like, like a dream. Mm -hmm. It sounds like a dream, especially in Barcelona. Very young. Um, How much fun was that? I mean, that's that's a pretty gone. fun town to be young in. That was that was fun. Especially I was twenty. I was in my mid twenties. You know, ninety two. Um, actually, yeah, just before the Olympics. Right. So it was really lots of foreigners. It was, it was really fun time. I can't imagine and you that, much sleep those years. <laughs> no, no, not much. Um, and then one day I was doing the Chicago Art Fair. And at the time, the Chicago Art Fair were putting, uh, with my little gallery, they were putting the, the galleries by alphabetical order. So it's not like huh. now that, you know, the important galleries in one spot and the crappy galleries on the other spot. So my little gallery ended up being opposite Anthony Dauphet's. Wow. And, and Anthony somehow took a shine at me. We were talking and whatnot. And 
So he, he eventually offered me a job. Amazing. I mean, and that was, that was a big decision because, yeah, well, no, I was not really making money, but it felt like real, a real. You had your name person. on, you yeah. had your name on the, on the door, so to speak already and mm -hmm. going to work for someone no, else. No, it was called, it was called Backspace. It didn't have my name. Oh, okay. And, Still, your space. Um, and it was open every afternoon from five to eight. So that's fine. That's great. Those are my kind of working hours. I know. Let's, I can start a gallery with those hours. That's why I became an art advisor. That kind of matches right up there. <laughs> um, and I mean, so for people who might not know, for a younger generation, especially of Americans, I mean, Anthony Dolphray was the most important uh, gallery based in London in the in kind of the late post-war period in the 80s and 90s. I mean, it was, it was he, he it showed was everyone. The, mo the most important European gallery. Mm-hmm. Uh, certainly one of the biggest, because uh, remember at the time there were no mega galleries yet, and Anthony employed about 30 people, yeah. and that, that was big, several spaces on Daring Street. And he, I mean, he um, had like a murder, I mean, a future murderer's row of what went on to be prominent gallerists like who, yourself. Who else was there when you were there? Yeah, who did you work with? Well, who? Sadie Coles and Simon Lee had just left, uh -huh. and... You know, I speak the same languages that Simon does, and he really needed someone who speaks the languages. Mm -hmm. And I also like to party and hang out with young artists like Sadie. Uh -huh. um, Polly Robinson was there, but Lorcan O'Neill, uh, Jim Cohen, Peter Freeman. Um, wow. I mean, uh, the guys from CRG, Carla and Glenn mm -hmm. and Richard had just left. Um, Matthew Marks had left a few, a couple of years before. I mean, that's um, a whole generation of super prominent and, and interesting, I would say, gallers too. They're not just yeah. kind of everyday gallers, people with a point of view. Yeah, yeah. That, like yourself. That is, mm -hmm. And uh, that what, is what, what, were you working with artists or more on the sales side of thing? What was your kind of day-to-day -day responsibilities uh, there? Like, uh, you know, I was working both with artists and sales. I don't, I, there isn't anyone at the time the idea that someone does just sales did not really exist. Right. Sales were a byproduct of taking care and showing great artists. And that was the, the, the philosophy um, back then, but also kind of still now. So the, but the reason for which there are so many art dealers that, um, came out of Anthony Dauphay because there was an every morning nine o'clock meeting wow. um, where everything was discussed. Um, all the directors and junior directors like myself um, were asked to go and everything was discussed from how many pages should the catalog, uh, hard cover or soft cover, you know, you don't want to be too ostentatious and you don't want to be too cheap, you know, so every artist should have the catalog that fits their moment in, in the career. Um, who should write? How much should the works be? Uh, every single decision was dissected and analyzed, which is extraordinary because, um, you know, when I then came to Gagosian, it was, here's your office, here's your computer, call me when there's any business. And uh, that's it. <laughs> no mm. communication whatsoever, you know? Uh -huh. um, there was no teamwork. Opposite, totally opposite. And how many how many years were you at uh, Dauphray before you made a switch? Almost four years. Mm -hmm. so it was not that much, but it was very, it was like uh, going to University of Art Dealing. 
of being not an art dealer, but of being a gallerist. And which, which, what, what were kind of the the hot or very in demand or or artists that left the most okay. impression on you from like from that period? Was anyone yeah. that you were like that you were talking to all the time? Were or... there artists that you brought in personally? Well, the to first this artwork, the first real international sort of artwork that um, I sold was a Kiefer book uh, to this oh. young collector Kaveh Shabani, who then married daughter of Bruno Bischoberger, Cora Bischoberger. Oh, yeah. Wow. And so he was my first client. Uh, that was Amazing. very exciting uh, for me to sell a one of those, you know, the the books, the that huge big actually books, draw. That... Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh. They're humongous artworks. I remember it was fifty thousand dollars, and I thought it was such a humongous amount of money. Of course, meeting Richter was amazing. Um, I didn't work with him. I worked with um, Francesco Clemente. Mm-hmm. Uh, Grayson Perry, who at the time was impossible to sell, um, right. Rineke Dextra, who I brought to the gallery, Maurizio Catalan, who I brought to the gallery. Amazing. Um, oh, wow, I didn't realize that. I didn't else? either. Wow. Who else? Oh, my God. I mean, that's, that, that's a pretty good lineup. I can as tell it you one, one anecdote that I really like to, um, well, a couple. Uh-huh. One, the, the hottest artists that we had at the time were absolutely not Maurizio or Rineke, but they were Martin Maloney and Richard Patterson. Wow. You could not keep the things on the wall. <laughs> you know, it was. It, now, do you know who they are? I know uh, Richard Patterson is the former. I don't. It's a totally new name to me. Uh-huh. Maloney, humongous. Wow. I mean... He was like the biggest star at the biggest gallery. Is crazy, insane. And it's interesting, you know, to see how things can go, seem inevitable that they're going to be part of art history and then they can disappear so thoroughly. Something we should all keep in mind is that we chase, we chase with our ears and not our eyes the flavor of the But week. that's what I, t- I, t- I tell my staff all the time. Don't get fooled. And another thing that I tell them, which was incredible, I remember coming to New York with Anthony, and we went to Castelli Gallery, and there was a show of Ed Rocher of the small paintings with the um, erased words that basically looks like a landscape with, with these boxes because uh-huh. the words were supposedly behind those boxes. And it was the last week of the show, and everything was available beside two paintings. Wow. And I was shocked. Um, and, you know, we did a show of Ed. There was a lot of um, very, you know, 60s paintings and drawings. Couldn't t- get them. Away. I mean, you know, I sold so many to my friends because I was like, please take it, you know, buy it. This is an important artist and it costs nothing. You have to buy it. Oh, I don't know. I don't know. Anyway. Well, um, I, I, hope, I hope they've given you, I hope they've taken you out to dinner since then. At least one dinner. <laughs> yeah. for, for, or, or let you sell them and make a commission, either or. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so how did you no. meet how did you meet uh, how did you meet Larry Gagosian? Is is he the one who brought you into the gallery? He must have been. Well it's it's Christoph, Christoph Vandeweg, mm-hmm. who introduced me to Larry. My girlfriend at the time um, was moving to New York to work for Christie's. And um, you know, Christoph knew that would have been nice if I also moved to New York, so he talked to me about um, talked about me to Larry and then Larry offered me a job and he offered me a much higher salary so that was really great what, <laughs> was, what was your first impression of Larry in, in, in this time this must have been what year um, 
by then I was coming to New York quite a bit and I knew so much about him because Christophe was a close friend of mine and I, you know, he was telling me all this stuff. Um, but Anthony was an incredibly generous with his uh, knowledge, but not generous, you know, financially. And for example, when we traveled, you know, most of the time was economy, the, nothing was flashy. When I moved to New York, Larry happened to be in London and he said, hey, do you want a, uh, a ride? on my plane. So I moved to New York with a private plane. <laughs> I, I was like, oh my God, I like this American cowboy style. <laughs> it, it is like very the, attractive. Uh-huh. <laughs> Indeed, it was very, very attractive. Um, Shock and awe. And, and you worked, where, 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 was the gallery already uptown or which, which Kugosian were you based out of? Where were they located? Uh, so the gallery was uptown and Soho and that's mm-hmm. it at the time and sorry and los angeles there was no gallery in london Mm -hmm. um i mean larry really became so something strange happened so i left dominique levy left mark fletcher mark fletcher left um from uh entering dauphin was a a bunch of people that left all at the same time and it was not any one of us leaving but there's something that you know anthony sort of panicked or whatever, very complicated man. And he closed in 2001. And, um, you know, just before 9-11, every, everyone thought that, you know, he had the sixth sense or something. Um, but that is why Larry could be the mega gallery that is now. Because he was representing all of Larry's artists in Europe. And all of a sudden, he's gone. And before, and by chance as well, Molly Dent Brocklehurst, uh, who was working with Larry and Larry loved, liked very, very much. She um, had to move to London for personal reasons. And yet Esther already opened an office. So don't, you know, don't, don't just go and work for someone else. Open an office and work for me in London. And then boom, Anthony closes and Larry was immediately able to move in hire a bunch of people and represent all these very profitable artists like Cy Twombly, Ed Roucher, you know, which is, you know, everyone that you, that you know, in London. And that was um, really the, what made him become a mega gallery, I think. And sort of right when London is solidifying its place as the, the center for contemporary art in Europe. Um... All the Russians were there, all the people from the Middle East, you know, it was a, it seemed like the center of the world, London back then. And which, which artists were you working with primarily at Kigozin? Were you tasked with like doing like uh, artist liaison work as well as, as sales? Yeah, as well, actually as well, I was very much uh, working with artists. I was doing some secondary market deal with, you know, Italian collectors mainly, uh, you know, getting things out of Italy. There are some very good collectors in Italy, but um, otherwise, um, I was working with artists, and um, unfortunately, my job was kind of to lure artists to to Larry. So I did that quite that successfully. Like a fun job, though. You, you whining and dining them. Well, whining and dining, and also, you know, remember now. For an artist, the idea of a private plane and 
you know, it's like, uh, whatever. <laughs> Do you see what I mean? Or, oh, yeah. or the Beverly Hills Hotel. Nobody cares about that stuff because, yeah. because everyone, every gallery tries to give it to you, but every gallery tried to copy Larry. Of course. Because, you know, it was not just a private plane, but the idea that you can do all sorts of production, mm-hmm. um, you know, that you can, with Jeff Koons, you know, that we could produce Celebration, mm-hmm. um, that, or with John Carrion, that we can do a catalog raisonné. Um, do you see what I mean? It felt, it, it felt like the world of possibility mm-hmm. with this um, very, you know, charismatic cowboy Absolutely. from... Uh, from no. Los Angeles, but yeah. it was also fun because by then very few artists were hanging out in private planes. So <laughs> right. it's like, oh, okay, I like this novelty. <laughs> <laughs> it's hard to go back once you've tasted it. <laughs> and uh, uh, can you mention any artists that you were instrumental in bringing onto the roster of the Gagosian Gallery? Well, it... Jeff, Jeff Koons, oh. and John Carrion, Mike Kelly. Um, wow. You know, uh, just, just some of the greatest you... artists of the late 20th, early 21st century. That's <laughs> right. all. Well, I mean, you know, there's some greatest artists at Gagosian. Yeah, indeed. And then, how long? How long did you end up staying working at the gallery? I was there for six and a half, seven years, um, until so I arrived here in '99 and 2005. I left. Yeah, you first, um, uh, uh, and this is about when I first met you. You were opening uh, Bortolami Diane with Amalia Diane. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And uh, in Chelsea, and what was the impetus? What made you think? that then was the time or that you wanted to go out and have your own program that you were ultimately responsible for? Was it just a... No, to, to tell you the truth, it was not. I kind of was getting a little bit restless because at that time I had what we could call the kind of top job at the Gaussian. Mm-hmm. Um, and I felt like, okay, and I was approaching 39. And I thought, yeah, well, the... There's, I still have another chapter, after, you know, that I can do. What is it going to be? Am I going to be here? Uh, because also I saw all these other people that have been there forever, and that was not very. Um, with, names will not be named, but people that were older than me and have been there with with Larry since the you know whatever the eighties or not, you know, mm-hmm. very very long and it, it's not a you kind of lose your something. identity into the death star at a certain point yeah I, I was like i don't want to be you know such and such person anyway so i'm not quite sure what to do adam lindemann comes and at that time he's dating amalia right and he has this brilliant idea of asking amalia and i to open a gallery that he would finance and you know amalia knows all the collectors i know the i know the artists voila formula for the perfect gallery except i remember always actually this is anthony saying uh, that the worst thing that one can do is to get into business with a collector that they finance you because you do all the work and they ultimately get all the money so i had this you know at the back of my head gnawing at me um so basically i said no um i said no which does not happen very often to Adam Lindemann. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, but then I kind of turned around and I said to Amalia, Amalia and I were getting along very, very well at, at Larry's. And we, ca- I don't know if I said it or she said it, but we kind of said it, what, what should we just do it, the two of us? Um, and so we did. And that was the most extraordinary thing because when I arrived, 
here in 99, I did not have a penny to my name. Mm -hmm. And by the time I left Larry, I had a pretty deep collection. I owned my apartment on Madison Avenue and I had enough money to buy the building um, on 25th Street where we opened the gallery and opened the gallery, which is, you know, really to the testament of how generous Larry was. Right. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. I, I didn't realize that you had owned that building that the, the first gallery was in. Yeah. So I, the idea was to own it with, uh, with um, Amalia. And then Amalia asked me, look, you know, because Adam really does want to be involved. Can you at least be involved in the real estate and you buy the building with him? I'm not sure. So as long as I own 50%, I, I don't care. So all is good. But then when um, Amalia leaves, she wants a family and... Uh, you know, whatever, it's different reasons, uh, but amicably, when Amalia leaves, Adam now owns half of the building where my gallery is at, and that was annoying to him. So he asked to sell it, and I managed to drag it for a little bit, but then eventually we had to sell it, and we sold it to uh, Pace. Yeah, because that's where Pace is, Pace mm-hmm. is now. Yeah, um, yeah, exactly. But it, I mean, I think ultimately it is sort of help because then when you break out and start Borlami just on your own, which is has a lot of the same artists, but is, is a different entity, it kind of made sense for it to move to a, a specific new space. Right. Um, you know, just kind yeah. of, at least, in, you know, from an art viewer's mind, it kind of yeah, like created yeah, yeah. a definition. And how many, gal- do you remember like around how many galleries you had on the roster when you, when it, when it became Bortolami? Yeah. What, what was how many artists? Yeah, it was. It was. I mean, it was like ten or something. I was trying to research this, but it was a good cross section. Obviously, you 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 had Daniel Baran. Was he already working with you at Amal, at at Bordelami yeah. Diane? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. You know, obviously one of the most important um, post-war conceptual European artists mm-hmm. uh, around. Yeah. Um, and then you had young people like I mean, obviously Aaron Young sticks in my head, but I know there were there were yeah. there, was, there were many others. Um, there it, were uh, well, there was uh, now that I can think only of artists that I don't work with anymore, like uh, Hope Atherton, right. uh, Avner Bengal, uh-huh. um, Gary Webb. God, the, the 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 skeletons in the closet. Every gallery has got skeletons <laughs> in the closet, but nobody wants to talk about those. You know, <laughs> you never you, you always put out the the bulletin of starting to work with someone, but he never put out the bulletin. We are stopping to work with such and such because, uh-huh. you know. <laughs> I mean, the Times does wedding announcements, but it doesn't do very many divorce announcements. No, they, they, they yeah, <laughs> exactly, exactly. Uh, um, so, but wait, no, but there, are, there were other artists that I still work with. Uh, God. Well, was, was Piero always? Uh, Piero yeah. and Eric. Piero and Eric. Michel Francois. Uh-huh. Um, and Veronica Jensen, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I don't know if Rich Holdred started when... Uh, I know, I don't think so. Rich Holdred was uh, uh, after. Oh, yeah, I think he came a little bit after. But, I mean, the reason I asked was sort of just because it was... It was ama- it's amazing to me that it was... It spans so many different generations. Right. And, yeah. and, and even aesthetics, although I would say... I mean, not to put words in your mouth, there was always kind of a strong concept... Even with painters, there was a strong conceptual ideas-driven practice behind what they what they did. Yeah, I mean, I think that that's because I, I was trained with, uh, you know, at galleries that are, were multi-generational in spirits because I had older artists and younger artists, and I never thought of opening a gallery that would just be my generation. It never, the, the thought never even occurred to me. Um, and how many years were you in Chelsea? Was that a full decade run uh, between the two galleries? Yeah, yeah, more. 
um, yeah, more, more, because I moved to Tribeca three, year ago, three years ago, um, maybe four years ago, and um, we're in 2021. So yeah, it was 12 years. Um, I want to ask just before we get in, in, into the move and, and kind of things like that, just something that occurs to me talking to you that you've had a number of really interesting, without naming names, directors uh, that have worked for you that you've always really treated as not business partners in the in the financial sense, but in people that seemed like they had a lot of input or a degree of input in the program and the type of things you did. And I'm wondering if that links back to your time with Anthony and kind of learning kind of about, you know, the importance of collaboration and getting a lot of voices in the table, even if ultimately it's your gallery. Yes, yes. Anthony and Larry, frankly, you know, Larry listens to, to, you know, Larry used to listen, well, definitely listen to me, but also listen to Sam, listen to, listen to Stefan Ratibor, you know, like, like Elon, you know, Larry listens. And that's, I think, a strength. It's not a, uh, a uh, weakness because there's no way that you can have eyes all over and um you know go and do all the studio visits that you need to do with you you need to have people out there looking at things and then proposing you things and then we talk about it and etc cetera, etc cetera. and i think one of those exciting things that kind of happened in collaboration was the artist city project which yeah. i think was, was kind of first began when you were still in chelsea before you made the move but a really cool project where you found underused or or, or, or or I would say strange, but kind of unique spaces outside of New York, mostly outside of kind of art world hubs and match them up with artists um, on your roster and sometimes not on your roster to do special projects, including like Eric Wesley did this project in a, in a former Taco Bell, if I recall, in St. Louis, and correct me if I'm wrong, Tom Burr did oh, that great God, project that great. in the, um, in that um, uh, Marcel Broyer building in New Haven, right next to the Ikea yeah. off, the, off the highway. And we drove by that building once, you know? Yeah. Utah culture in Philadelphia in this minuscule houses. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. I didn't get, to, didn't make it to that one. Barbara Caston in Chicago, I, I also didn't I was see. there for the opening of the Paul. Show yeah, that was game. that was really you know actually that was kind of uh, two folds. One was uh, it started a moment in which we were all really going crazy, flights, art fairs, one all over continuously, and it, the whole consumption of art was so fast and so furious that it sort of stopped satisfying me a little bit. Mm -hmm. And then uh, Barbara Caston did a show at the gallery. And she presented her uh, works, you know, wall works, and those were perfect. But she presented this new typology of uh, work, which is a sort of a projection. And, um, you know, she installed it. And then she went back to Chicago. And she calls me two weeks later. She said, damn, you know, I really should have done it in this other way. But now it's useless because by the time I can come, the show will be almost over, you know. And I thought... See, this is the thing, you know, that's what you're supposed to do the final work in a museum, not in a gallery. The gallery should be able to give the possibility of, you know, changing, making mistakes and, you know, allowing for improvements. And I thought, well, I cannot do it because in New York, the rent is so high that you can't do, you know, six months shows, but you can definitely do it somewhere else where the, the rent is so low. And, and that's, that was the start of the artist city idea um and i'm going to take this platform to announce my next next artist city oh amazing wow which is in uh coming up very soon uh it's going to be in june 
and it's Cecily Brown in Buffalo. Unbelievable. Amazing. Wow. And that's so cool. I mean, both Cecily, a great painter who I know is a, a very close friend of yours, and also Buffalo, such a great history of painting in that town. Oh, this is so great. what happened is that she was invited to do a mural, um, and her and I have been talking about an artist city for a bit, and she said, why don't you do an artist city around this mural that I'm doing in Buffalo? So, you know, this is not the moment to explain the details, but yes, basically, there's going to be eventually a mural uh, which uh, is going to be permanent and is done in collaboration with the UB, University of Buffalo. Well, this is so exciting. Have you uh, been to Buffalo before? Nope. Looking forward. Actually, that's not true. I've been to Buffalo, but it was one of those uh, Larry's trip for an artist opening, which we took the plane, went there, went for dinner to the opening, took the plane back. So I've never yeah. seen Buffalo. Well, Stefania, you and me are going to be eating some Buffalo wings up in Buffalo uh, in June, I believe. I think that we can reveal <laughs> Nate, that much. Nate won't miss an opening to anything, that's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I've also never been to Buffalo, and this is not, I mean, obviously, this is the time. This is now why I'm going to and, and it's going to, you know, apparently it's, there's amazing architecture. Actually, Cecily's husband, Nikolai, wrote a, a big article about Buffalo amazing architecture huh. when he was a, um, a critic for the times. Critic for the times. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Nikolai Orsoff. Um, that is very cool. That's exciting. Very it's cool. exciting to hear. And I've only spent a little time in Buffalo, but the museums there are just uh, are pretty amazing. Mm -hmm. um, you know, like one of these, uh, like several American, I think probably, as far as I know, just American, maybe European cities that had such a great industrial base in the in the 19th and early 20th century right. that built great collections. And then... Very much looking forward to oh, discovery. Fantastic. I've been in Tribeca for three years. I think we all know the reasons why one would move out of Chelsea. Um, you know, uh, rising real estate costs, you know, the spaces, it begins to feel a bit generic, these white boxes that you kind of, you know, people walk around on mm -hmm. a Sunday. What, what has the, like, how did you find the space? Were you just, did you go down there and walk around or what was the process like? I had met, uh, okay, so Jonathan Travis bought um, a Caitlin Keogh drawing and you know he was telling me that it's a uh, real estate da, da, da. and I, I knew that I had to I had to move so I said well why don't you why don't we talk about um, you know where you know show me what you have and he had at the time he was not particularly obsessed with Tribeca he you know in fact he had spaces in the um, uh, flower district in Chelsea Harlem uh, Lower East Side and Tribeca. And literally the first time that he showed me this, these papers, I was like, no, 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 no. And then I saw this and I was like, ooh, I want to see this one. Also, I mean, generally speaking, the flower district didn't seem like a good idea to me. It seems like Plan B Chelsea. Um, sorry, Casey. We're all we're all thinking of the same person. <laughs> You've got a great space. Right. Yeah. <laughs> um, Harlem, also, you know, not a believer in gentrifying Harlem. Who am I, Italian, coming from you know whatever Torino and opening? No, it didn't, didn't seem right. Tribeca, on the other hand, with people with money living on top of you or right next to you, seemed, you know seemed really like a good idea. Um, all the uh, collectors that live in the Upper East Side, their kids live in Tribeca. So 
was was it a bit was it a bit i know people had already started to move there but was it a bit frightening to feel as though you were perhaps going a place where people weren't going to be like walking around seeing art there was alexander and bonin no 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 no. there was alexander and bonin Mm -hmm. they were there and then it was artist space and that's of course artist space yeah but yeah Um, you were one of the first for sure you know yeah i mean you know alexander and bonin i love them dearly but they're not the most PR oriented, mm-hmm. uh, dynamic, uh, bring in the crowds gallery. So I was a little bit, you know, worried, <laughs> frankly, uh, but the space was so beautiful, so beautiful. And the price point was right. And uh, I was, and then, uh, and then I got to work, you know, I got to talk to people, you know, twisted Andrew Krebs's hand and uh, mm-hmm. I think Andrew coming was really very important because Absolutely. all of a sudden there is like another you know a strong medium gallery coming in and then of course there's Jim Cohen etc 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 then it's going very quickly I hope it's not going to become too big I mean it's so much it's so much a pleasure to walk around down there it just because really the type of galleries yeah. are sort of self-selected it feels much more like organic and mm-hmm. part of the neighborhood than Chelsea ever did yeah. it doesn't have that windswept yeah. feel but also your space is absolutely beautiful I remember that really the is. first show that you did the Daniel Buren presentation mm. with the with the, the you know covering the skylights with the with the colored whatever it was um you know to allow the stripes to kind of live in light uh, am I remembering this correctly it was just so beautiful and yeah, yeah. what a great inauguration so. of that space um and you've since I mean, very recently now, like during the pandemic or just before the pandy, um, you opened a, a space upstairs, upstairs as well. Well, before then, um, Andrew and his wife, uh, Kaufman Repetto, and I opened, uh, took over 55 Walkers. So that was, that was also the first time, at least in New York, that I know of, that three galleries that got their own spaces collaborate on something. And I think that that's very significant. And Hopefully, it gives a little bit the spirit of uh, Tribeca. Um, and upstairs was for office space, and then it turns out that I'm having a lot of fun. Huh. So, yeah, I mean, I've seen the past um, two or three projects up there, and it's it, they're fun. Great. The group shows, not necessarily artists you work with, mm-hmm. um, guest curators, um, and uh, and and in kind of a in what feels like a domestic environment. It used right. to be an apartment. The last one was the one David did. Right. It is. I mean, I wanted to be flexible and open, you know, Ben, one day you tell me, hey, what about can I curate a show of blah, blah, blah. And I'll tell you, sure, let's put in the calendar. It's it's important to have uh, because the gallery needs to have a program of your artists that you represent. And sometimes, you know, the next show actually is uh, not the next, but in June, we're going to do early Rene Green works up there. So it's not like that's barred from our artists but you know i i can also do some things that have got nothing to do with my program or that might become part of my program in a later time yeah and allows for more content i think i mean my guess is that we'll all be going to less art fairs going forward than we were three years ago both as gallerists and as art buyers and but it allows you to have like space to do things continue to show things and have more content um both to keep it interesting intellectually but also like there's a business reason behind it as well you as an art advisor you think you're going to go to less art fairs uh as a writer i'm going to go to less i'm not going to yeah. really be able to go to the ones in in, in asia and, and some in europe we'll, we'll see we'll see if i can hold myself back i mean obviously if clients want to travel to fairs i'm going to go there with them and happy to do oh, as such course. but um you know i just feel like 
just feel like they'll still be very, very important, but it'll be the four or five big ones that are important, not the right. eight to 12 I was going to previously. And guys, I'm going to ask you a question now. What's your take on uh, Joe Bradley and uh, leaving Larry for uh, Friedrich and uh, Xavier Kent? Who wow. uh, that, that may be one we, that's we've been on some group ta- group chats about. Oh, um, group chats. Yeah, I mean, it's I feel I think it's smart for Joe. I mean, he was getting lost in there, and obviously his market n- kind of never really continued to have any traction. I mean, they're very hard to sell now. Um, the choice of Friedrich, who hasn't always been the best at nurturing careers um, of painters um, is interesting to me. But I think for certain types of artists, they want to be, they want to feel as though they're part of a group and feel as though they have a real connection with a, with a program. And I think Joe's someone like that. And I think it's just impossible at a mega gallery. Um, Yeah. I think that, that he'll fit in with the Petzl that exists now, if that makes more sense. Uh, I think that there's, I know they expanded their uptown space. There's talk of them actually coming downtown near Eustafania. So we'll see if that happens. Have you heard about this? No, who is coming downtown? Petzl was looking at a space in Tribeca. Oh yeah, he has been looking for a long time, mm-hmm. literally for for at least a year and a half. But you know, being the the guy that he is, and I love Frederick, you know, he says, mm-hmm. oh, "There's no space big enough for me." <laughs> 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 to which Andrew and I promptly send him to, <laughs> you know. Um, I, I think that's it's a good move for Joe. I think he'll be happy there. He didn't seem that happy with uh, at. I wonder if Tribeca is going to change once Werner comes in. Mm, Yeah. Well, I mean, because I think that's confirmed that Ebony's uh, Mm -hmm. venture of Werner is going to be. It is down there. It is down Tribeca. Yeah. yeah. Um, uh, I don't know when the opening date is. Um, I think it's. Well, they they started uh, demoing. Uh huh. So they started demolition, so that Mm -hmm. something is stirring. Yeah. Uh, I think that it will definitely. Well, I mean, there's better food down there. I mean, it, it makes sense. It's a more holistic mm-hmm. neighborhood. But you know, for 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 the mega megas that like to do these like over the top. What about you in terms of fairs? Do you, have you given any thought during the pandemic to like if you'll do as many as you did? Uh, well, I didn't do that many, so I'll keep the Basel. I was not doing Hong Kong, and I don't think I'll start doing it right now. I would love to start actually a new uh, sort of smaller Asian fair but i haven't uh i was going to do taipei but then they canceled it so like okay well, a great city i highly recommend it um and then soul. i soul do the adaa i also is that good is there a fair happening in seoul well there's the the, the rumors that freezer's opening a soul fair and i think that that ah. might actually be happening but not not for not until next year um, but if that happens, I think Seoul will kind of be like the new Taipei. I, I, I don't know. I hear very optimistic things about what's happening in Seoul. So I want to talk um, just recently you announced um, and you've added, you know, a number of artists over the past just couple of years. Um, but um, your your newest addition is Ella Cruz. Oh, God, Thank you. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm a huge fan of her work. So a great, a very cool really painter. Great, um, you know, was news. recently showing in New York at, at Gavin Brown. Um, mm-hmm. How did the have you been? Have you been in conversations with her for a long time? Like, how did that courtship go in this pandemic age? Well, no, it's you know the courtship started the moment that she was not on that on the list. Right, on the list. <laughs> the right. list. <laughs> I was like, what? Ella is not in it? Crazy! They're dumb. So uh, that's when I started courting her. 
And is she's showing with uh, my very close friend Thomas Dane in London. So he was very uh, instrumental in convincing her. And then I went to Los Angeles and um, we had a great time. And my first show is going to be in November. And she actually was living in Los Angeles, but now she moved to New York. So uh, I, I love when I have artists in town because that makes a makes a big difference. She moved like a month ago. Well, I mean, you've always surrounded yourself by the artists on your roster. At least it feels like to me. I, me I know you a little bit, you know, just uh, hang out with Piero or I mean, Tom Byrne, Tom. you guys, uh, I see you out and <laughs> yeah. about you together frequently. Um, you beautifully know, so. Uh, you know, a great artist. You know, how important is it to you as a, as a, as a mid-sized gallery to, to, to be in touch and to be kind of able to, to kind of check in on these people and, and, and act as kind of their, not just their very, agent for selling, but also just kind of helping them navigate this world. Very important. I mean, now I have very few artists in Europe. I have, uh, you know, and the artists in Europe that I have are much uh, older, you know, Michel Francois and Veronica Jensen and Daniel Buren. Um, well, Lena Henke is right now in Berlin, but she'll, you know, she'll be back. Yeah. Also in Los Angeles, I have a lot of artists. So I like to go to Los Angeles every you know, someone from the gallery is there every couple of months. Uh, maybe I'm there three times a year and someone else. Do, do you see what I mean? And we have from Leslie Vance to Morgan Fisher to Ivan Morley, uh, Piero, Eric, um, you know, a bunch. And now Madeline too. So that uh, important, very important to be in touch with your artists. All right. I think that's, uh, I know you have something to get to in a few minutes. So mm -hmm. I want to, unless you have yes. anything else, Nate, I want to thank you so no, much Stefania, uh, this was for amazing. being you and just, uh, and bringing what you do into the world. And thanks for joining us. You're awesome. All right. Thank you guys. This is so much fun. You You're I'll a hero. You thank you. See you soon. Bye-bye. Bye, Stefania. Bye. -bye. Bye.